Okay, hello everyone, welcome back to the Pearpod. Thank you for the support on the last episode. We are rapidly heading towards the end of season four. You're potentially the last guest of the, the year, Ben. Oh, no way. This could be huge. What a privilege. Uh, today I'm joined by one of the pioneers of the Irish videography scene, and that's fair to say. You can't even get bashful about that. That's that's true. Uh, ben Keeley is in with us today. Thank you, Ben. Thank Thanks you for joining for us. Me. Very, very chill. First time drinking on the podcast, I think. Just a, it's, been a, it's been a week. Absolutely. End of year celebration, city exactly. season. Exactly. It's it's party season. And you're, you have a little party this evening. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad the camera doesn't see that from my waist down. I'm in black tie. And uh, as soon as I get off this podcast, I'm putting on the shirt and the, and the suit and going straight into the Guinness storehouse. Do you see all the uh, the videos that go around of like uh, things not to do at an office Christmas party and all those ones? Oh, happen? stop. We've all had them. It's like the levels of drunkenness when yeah. you get to it. Thankfully, like, I'm keeping it calm tonight. When you get into the next month, when you get in on Monday and you're like, Hey, yeah. after, after my phone, you're like, oh, we've all had them. Yeah. And um, one start. So like we have, funnily enough, we have a bit of a history and yeah. we shot together. Do you remember this? When I came in to shoot with you and we met in Starbucks Yeah, yeah. and you were shooting like a rugby thing later on. It was like a video, like a story of you. Yes. Yeah. And that's you what shot and you shot, we shot in town for a little bit. We got that photo of you with like all the umbrellas over it yeah. in town. Don't Man, know if you remember that. that. that you're, you're taking down memory lane here. It was the biggest, best time of my life. Yeah. <laughs> It's the day I fell in love with you. It was the peak uh, of my career. <laughs> but uh, man, I don't think you know from that. So like that, that was <laughs> when you were like that first day we shot together, you were like, we, we met up and I was going to help you take some shots for a project you were doing. Yeah. And you were like, um, you came in, you're like, oh, bro, so just, you can shoot it on mine. So uh, autofocus is here. We just uh, adjust the ISO here and um, shooting on uh, 50 mils. So give yourself enough space. And I was like, mm-hmm. so like my knowledge had taken a few photos, maybe. That was yeah. my video, like like my camera knowledge. I love it. And so you were like, and I was like, mm-hmm, okay. And you were like, I remember you had, uh, the focus color was like uh, green. And I was like, I was yeah. like, okay, okay, cool. And there was one of the shots we got in town, which you didn't use, obviously, because I was like, you were like, uh, just track me walking across the road here. I, I remember was, that. I was like, mm-hmm. and yeah. you were like, all right, yeah, all right, we'll just leave it. We'll stabilize that yeah. after. <laughs> There's not enough warp stabilizer in the world to stabilize that. Man, that, it, that took me down memory lane, Jesus. Because I, 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 I knew we shoot together. I was just trying to remember when it was. Because I know you've you've shot with Rob before in the past as well. Back in the day, back at like, well, yeah, and more recently. But that that was, you were already like four or five years into it at this stage. I yeah. would have been 20 21 or 22 at this stage wow so it's about seven years ago and it, it's it's actually like it's flown by like it's it, that's why i was i was so excited to come on and talk about this because it's one thing i'm terrible at is like reflecting on i, I yeah. i'm always thinking of what i'm doing next or what i'm doing like I, i'm so bad at living in the moment mm. and i think then i look back and it's not like thank god i've got my phone for photos and memories because there's so many things i don't remember and i love sitting down and talking like this and you, you it's like a trip down memory lane well, it's gonna be nice because i've it's basically i've got your whole life in front of me here so it's the um <laughs> i hope there's nothing bad in there now no it's all good stuff it's all good stuff but the uh we might as well go back to the start so you're originally from is it wicklow you're originally from is that yeah, where you yeah. lived and scary in wicklow yeah and growing up in any scary like what was your what kind of a student were you what was school like for you uh i mean i my primary school there was about 50 people i could probably name all of them now uh i up, literally up in the mountains um and is a small quaint village it's grown now uh, since i was a kid um but then i, I went to st jared's school out in bray I, I the privilege of going there my parents worked very hard to put me there um but being there, the stereotypical private school, South Dublin, you're surrounded by like other kids who are like a lot more well off yeah. um, and probably take things for granted. So um, I think that's sort of where my, uh, 
I, I felt like I, nece- I didn't necessarily fit in. It wasn't like, look, I'm, I'm not going to take it down the stereotypical thing where like I didn't fit in with everybody else, whatever. Um, I was but, a born fighter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but there is. Everyone has to find, like naturally people find or don't find their kind of niches in school. Yeah. And like sports is probably a huge one in, in school. Like it's massive mm. to be in like finding a little crew you can fit into. And I think you played rugby, didn't you? So you had, yeah. so you that, probably had something. That's the reason I, I, I went there because uh, from like in the area that was, probably like the the best opportunity I was going to get for for going forward in rugby that was my childhood dream coming from a very very small primary school I didn't have there was no rugby there so um my dream was to go on and become a rugby player and honestly looking back at it that's the only reason I really went to school um like I I used to I remember like there was one one teacher who um he I used to like pretend I was sick not to go to school but then I'd come in for the training after school and one teacher found this out and he called me out in the middle of class and he was like screaming at me saying because I hadn't done my work there, I think there was a, a junior cup game coming up and he just made a show of me he said I'm gonna get you kicked off the team if you're not doing the work but it was just because I only enjoyed playing rugby and that's the only enjoyment I found out of school um and yeah, I suppose that, that was, I suppose school, it, uh, I, I don't want to bash it because I feel like a lot of people do that. A lot of people bash school. It's like, oh, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, but it made me learn what I didn't like. Mm. So it had a place, do you know what I mean? So um, I think that's sort of where I guess my videography in later life stemmed from because I knew straight away what I didn't want to do. Mm. So I started looking elsewhere as to what I did like to do. Did you feel a little bit? Like you probably had mates that were like, this is my plan. Architecture degree, architect, three years junior, get my own firm. And there's probably a lot of people that were like, this is my plan. Bang, bang, bang. Dad's practice going in here. And then you're like, you know, I want to go and do, you know, I want to paint, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like whatever it is. But like they have a, I remember feeling the same way when I got like, I had crazy shit, like event management was my mm. number one choice. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I remember everyone being so buzzing with their results and it made no difference to me on the day what I got because I, I cared the same amount about everything I had down. Yeah. And I remember there was a big feeling of like, geez, what the fuck? Like, I probably should have planned out my life a little bit better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you kind of have that feeling now? Like, what, what did you go to college or did you? Did no, you, so, you, like, you, you I'm going to spread my wings. Like Exactly as you said there, like I, I, I I suppose I, I came out of school, there's other people that would have went through school and they knew exactly what they wanted to do, whether that was from a, a pre-planned like parental pressure where the parents have sort of told them what they're going to be, or if they just grow up and they know exactly what they want to be. I kind of went through school, I, I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. Um, now, in my spare time, I like where the videography came from, I used to go home and I used to watch YouTube videos right since I was a kid, you know. Um, and being the the rugby guy in school, I kind of wanted to keep it on the down low that I was watching YouTube videos, right. gamers on the side and stuff. So um, that's what I used to do. I used to love going home and playing PlayStation or, or watching YouTubers. Um, and over the years, YouTubers that I, I was following, um, one in particular was, I remember I followed Vic Star 123 He was now one of the side men. I followed him from, I think he, he must have only had about 10,000 subscribers. Like Minecraft videos and stuff like that. What, it, what it was, was he doing? Like pre-Minecraft. Minecraft, he was doing just Call of Duty. Oh um, Jesus, yeah. And yeah, he, he, he but I, I saw him as a, a relatable 16 year old. He he went on to, he, I think he bought an Aston Martin when he was 18. So at the time, like social media was a completely different landscape. I saw a guy doing what I really enjoyed doing, mm-hmm. buying a, a, a luxury car at 18 from what, just doing what he loved. Um, so I kind of recognized that this 
had potential uh, early on. I sort of saw what these people were doing, but going into school and telling your careers guidance teacher that you want to be a YouTuber, they have no notion, you know? I'm sure it's a completely different landscape now with the, the growth of social media. You've heard of uh, Jake Paul, have you heard Team 10? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it felt like. No, it's, you want to talk with the big four, that's who you want to be in. Yeah. So yeah, that's like bringing it on to college. I, um, I got completely misguided uh, into what course I wanted to do because I went into that meeting saying I want, I want to be a YouTuber. So I ended up going into a course in UCD. I, I was adamant on going to UCD because I still had that love of rugby. I really wanted to go there for the rugby opportunity. Um, and I got misguided to go into an arts degree, which had a tiny module on social media. Yeah, like broadcasting or something Yeah, small. I think the, somebody explained to me that the end goal was to be a librarian. And I was like, nah, this isn't for me. Um, so yeah, college didn't last too long. Yeah. And did you, and during that period, I think it was in that period, you started working with Rob or like started that relationship, which kind of was probably the catalyst to you being like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with college. So yeah. how, how did that? So just to set the scene, like Rob is probably the only prominent fitness Irish creator at that time. Yeah, and definitely, definitely, the, definitely the first. Yeah. And like the one blowing up and he'd done a few collabs with some UK guys and had sponsors and mm-hmm. like his content was he was probably the only guy who would ever need a videographer at that time. Yeah. Did he put out a post or something being like looking for someone to shoot some content for me? Man, it's crazy. Like again, talking about different landscapes and social media, he actually put out a Snapchat yeah. back in the day. And it was, now it's back. Snapchat's yeah, back yeah, yeah. again now after that now. Yeah. So at the time, again, just like me hiding, it was like my guilty pleasure watching YouTube when I went home from school. Um, in school, I remember sitting outside and guys had mentioned this, uh, this Irish guy called Rob Lipset doing fitness videos. And, it was kind of like standing around in a group and they were making fun of him. Yeah. But meanwhile, I was in the back and I was like, actually, yeah, that's like, that sounds cool. So I went home and I used to watch his videos. So I followed him, I'd say, for the guts of a year. Um, and then it was, I, I, I think it was, uh, it was that summer that I, I'd finished school. He put out a, uh, a Snapchat and he was looking for a videographer because he was doing, a, I think he was coming up to a milestone. I think he was coming up to 50,000 subscribers or his hundredth video or something. And he wanted to do a video looking back at his videos. So he needed somebody to edit that. So I completely bluffed it. Bearing in mind, my my uh, my level of videography at the stage was a GoPro and using my ex-girlfriend's mom's camera, you know? So I didn't know anything about videography, but the fact that that camera was bigger than the one that Rob used to vlog on, we, we he thought it was a good it camera. Used to be, it used to be it. It yeah. used to be it. Like I remember I used to rent a camera from college. It was like a, a 5D Mark IV or something like, yeah, like an outrageous camera to get. And you were able to rent it for a certain period to shoot your college projects. Yeah. And I remember walking around and people were like, whoa. This and guy like, knows what he's I talking about. I, I had it on auto the whole time. I was like, geez, what the fuck do I do? This yeah, but it yeah. looks class. Um, but yeah, so at that time, so you're making maybe like home movies and stuff like that, like at your level. It, it was like travel videos. Like I went, if I went on a holiday or something, I went on a student exchange, I'd bring the GoPro and I, I'd film it. If you I, jump into water transitions. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Yeah, like yeah, the, that, that was what, what popped off on YouTube back it, in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, we've all done it. Um, but yeah, so Rob put out the Snapchat looking for a videographer. I responded saying, hey, I'm, I'm a videographer. I'll do it. Um, com- I might, I might be free. Yeah, <laughs> completely over jumping my mark here. Uh, so we went and we shot the video, um, and it was like this was literally, as you said, the catalyst to my whole career. Um, I made the video, I showed it to Rob, and I thought this is done deal, great. Um, he came back to me, and he, he basically, no word of a lie, just said that's shit. Yeah. So, uh, and the reason was like, again, I went in there with this bigger camera. He thought, we all thought it was going to be better. But then when we saw the footage, he was like, my small camera do better. Why would I get you in? So I just said to him, just give me one more chance. Um, I really wanted to do this because I was 
just started college at that stage. I knew I wasn't enjoying it. Um, so I took out a loan. Oh, shit. To buy, at the time, it was a Sony A7S II. Mm. Purely off the back of, I saw that's what the other YouTubers, uh, videographers had. So um, I thought we shooting on over there. Yeah, there you go. So that's what it started on. And that like that was uh, way more expensive than just, I... Just to put into context, that's uh, probably with the lens, you probably got like, they were talking around like three I, three to five K. I think total, yeah, it was like three between three and four four grand I spent, I spent on that. And what, what kind of... Uh, what kind of not like going in to buy it? Did you have any reference or anyone that you knew shoot, shot on stuff that you'd be like, like, did you care about frame rates like 4K? Like, did you care about any of that stuff? At, at that time, I, I probably should have cared about it. Yeah. I just didn't understand it. You were it. just like, hey, camera, please. Yeah, exactly. So, well, the, the reference point was uh, Christian Guzman over in, yeah. in, in the States at the time. He had a videographer called Javon. They were kind of... It, it, Javon. 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 Again, yeah. this is kind of the landscape of YouTube. Like it's the golden era. Everybody nowadays has a videographer uh, or a photographer or whatever. Back then, there was two or three maybe doing it. Like everybody was walking around with a, a G7X, mm. Canon G7X, vlogging their own videos. So I actually reached out to Javon. I got in touch with him because Rob had referred me. And I was messaging him like, I'm sure if I go back in my Instagram DMs, I could find it. I was asking him like... Uh, hey, how do you get the blurry background on a camera? How do you get that sort of teal and blue? What effect is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, that's what sort of kicked it off. And I just went full in on, on, on the A7S II. Um, we, the following week, went back with Rob. We shot the video fully auto, you know. But at least the base level of the camera was better. So uh, we did the video and he liked it. What lenses did you get? Do you remember? Oh, it was like the stock lens that came yeah, with yeah, it. It was like F4 or whatever. And uh, is, is your, like when you're first doing that, like is there, I suppose you can't even, like the so I remember, I'm trying to go back to when I first started editing. Like is there, were you, when you sent it off the first time being like shitting yourself, being like, please God, let this look okay. Or did you, were you like that second time around where you're like, okay, that, that's better. That's oh, yeah. closer to what I wanted it to be. Yeah, I, I knew it was better. It was definitely a step up from from my level. I I thought it was great, yeah. Uh, but yeah, whether Rob thought it was great or not. But judging his review of the first one, I knew it couldn't have been worse than yeah. that. You know, so uh, I sent that over to him, and he loved it. And from that point on, um, he was living in Sandyford and training in raw gyms. I was getting, I wasn't driving at the time. I used to get a lift in from my parents. Uh, my dad, he used to work in the city, so I'd just get a lift in with him to UCD wouldn't go to my lectures um, and Rob would basically come pick me up from college. We'd go to the gym, film videos, and then he'd drop me back to college. I'd just go straight to the library or, or into my lecture and edit them. So I was never actually like engaging with college. It was just a space for me to work yeah. on, on the videos. Um, and then that became a routine for I think three or four months um, up until the, the first semester exams in, in, in college. And at that point I said, no, nah, I'm done. Um, how quickly are you improving in like that period so this was the the i think the best thing for me in that time was rob had a following i think he had something about 50k followers it could have been less um but the fact that my work was getting put in front of an audience mm. it it gave me a reason i it forced me to have to improve um because you, you straight away you, you had feedback from yeah. fifty thousand people or however many people who's watching. The, who's the shaky hands? You're yeah, like, no, yeah, no. exactly, exactly. I and got that comment before, but like a video opening is shit. Yeah, they they tear you apart. Yeah. They're ruthless. Yeah. So, but it was great. It was really constructive because it forced me and it gave me a reason to improve my videos. If it was just me making my own YouTube videos, you're learning off your own motivation. Whereas yeah. this was, I had to if I wanted to keep the job. Um, what were your uh, 
what was your in the in the Rob Lipsit era there? What was your favorite piece of content you made or your favorite shoot that you went on? Like I remember a few iconic. I remember Christian came to Ireland for the first time and they did that thing in Raw Sandyford. Yeah, I remember that. I wasn't at it, but I remember that being a big event. I saw the video after that, and I remember that being a big moment where, yeah, basically the the fitness scene in the US touchdown in Ireland for the first time all kind of through Rob yeah he, so, he was the catalyst to it yeah. here yeah and like Christian would probably have you know he probably opened it up for people like Caroline Mahoney and stuff like that now like right oh. like that all the Ireland was put on the map a little bit um but yeah what what kind of jobs did you do that you were like yeah this shoot was sick or that that piece I made was was class uh, it, it's a tough one because like I was working with Rob for so long and like naturally we're spending so much time together we just ended up becoming best friends yeah. so it didn't really ever feel like a job because we were just hanging out having fun and let's be honest like at the time like we went to bali together and that was like you could call it work but it wasn't really work you know uh, that, that for me was huge because i was living my dreams of like traveling while getting to create content looking back at it now i'm sure i'd tear the videos apart and say they're they're terrible yeah. but at the time i was living my dream life mm. um and i'd say my favorite moment um if i was to pick one ah oh, that is a tough one i had one there in my head now it obviously isn't that important <laughs> i think yeah no my my favorite moment we didn't uh, i didn't athlete shoot um and it, it, this was for athletes page. I, mean, I was literally when you were in pausing there i was like when when christian was like hey do you think ben could yeah do something else? i remember like that i couldn't imagine at that time like whatever many years you're into content being like oh fuck he thinks, yeah, he thinks yeah, I'm yeah. Class. yeah so it, it was basically like looking back at it now it was just i was on the side of the water it was easier for him to get me yeah. to do it but um yeah i love that because that was such a big opportunity for me um at the time like fully like my work is getting put out to the athlete audience which was blowing up um uh, over in the states there was that moment but then i think that the, my favorite moment about the whole thing was we'd go to expos together and like especially body power over in the uk it was a yearly expo and it was huge rob would be on on, on a stand and you'd have like a two hour long queue of people waiting to, to meet him and as i'm filming like people would pull me aside and say they love my videos they love my work i'm just seeing engaging with people that are behind the screen and seeing the impact that the work we were doing had on other people's lives that's what that was it was so fulfilling um and it made it it all worth it you know because it wasn't an easy road nobody knew where youtube was going nobody knew if this was like a proper job opportunity especially for you like with rob yes like there's real like monetizable opportunities coming from him growing his platform mm. but if everything tomorrow like youtube decides oh yeah we're not monetizing everything's free there won't be any money in it you're left with you know you're like oh fuck it. i've been neglecting college this whole time yeah i have exams coming up i'm probably going to fail and like in ucd you got to repay for your like your failed exams so like there's yeah. a lot of like thoughts coming up so you you're banking on this to work oh, you know I mean? so when i dropped out i like you just reminded me there when i dropped out uh after i went to bali another youtuber hit me up to make his videos nice. and i went out to cambodia with him and that was the date of the cutoff where you could like you could sign out of your course without having to get having to pay and I remember I felt so, I, I was in the, literally in the middle of the jungle in, in Cambodia, in some hut, trying to like get onto the admin person back in UCD to say, look, I can't sign out here because my Wi-Fi is not working. Patricia, it's Ben. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think they were chasing me the whole next semester for payment. But I was trying to explain to them, look, I wasn't in classes since October last year, you know. But, um, sorry, what were you saying there? With the I was just saying that the... Um did like you were obviously banking on rob to work yeah. and then obviously there's a period there where 
I guess what was the what was the original like original way for you to kind of step away from work with Rob consistently and work with some mm. other projects? Because I remember you definitely applied or got or were working with Red Bull, and I also remember you applied you applied you did this video application mm. for another job, and I remember watching that and being like, oh, you did. I remember you did transition and you were on top of a mountain or something. Yeah, you remember yeah, that? yeah. And I remember looking at that and being like, geez, that'd be the sickest gig. And that was I, that. that was probably the first video I saw of your YouTube channel, like your own personal one. Yeah. And um, so yeah, what was the, what like. Number one, did you, you didn't obviously, you didn't get that gig. Oh, I, I did. Did you? Yeah. You got that as well? So, sorry, no, uh, sorry I, did, I, I didn't get the gig that the video application was for. But, but then uh, you started working with Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. So they, it, it came full circle. So that, we've, we fast forward, like to give people context, we fast forward, what, maybe two, three years here. Oh, so um, it was two to three years of consistently, like working you with were Rob. working with Rob. Yeah, yeah from so 2016. It's a, a ton of time you're honing your craft and you're probably getting so much better. Like two to three years is crazy of consistently yeah. shooting and editing content. Oh, there's points where we were doing daily videos and I, I have full respect for people out there who are able to do that now because as a one-man show like or two-man show like vlogger and editor that is hard work like Casey Neistat did it for I don't know how many years it's not until you actually try it out for one two three days like you know the rest of his life was suffering like he, oh, yeah, he spoke about it yeah he was like like my, wife, takes over I, your my life. wife didn't like me in that yeah. period which is um but on the other side of that it, it you improve at such a fast rate oh, like absolutely. that's like your film film school do you know what I mean 100 percent. you learn a million different scenarios you learn like interviews with people mm. how to like put a montage together you're learning like all how to make your editing faster so everything probably improved like night and day but oh yeah that. yeah it, ma- it makes you really think outside the boxing with your creativity um yeah so like rob and i were making videos for so long and then we went to we actually went to ibiza together and uh that speaking of memorable moments that's definitely up there <laughs> I can't um, quite remember it now yeah, but it was yeah, definitely yeah. definitely fun yeah no the, well it was me, Rob, uh, I was making his videos, Nabil and Marine, student aesthetics at the time, and then Joe Delaney. And we had this villa. And Jesus Christ, you're just missing Tommy B. Like, and I know, I know. Cut the whole gang. Like. It was, uh, that was, it was so much fun. But that's where uh, Rob got picked up by Love Island at the time. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, um, he got picked up by Love Island. So, but when you go into Love Island, you, he doesn't have his phone. He's no contact. And yeah. the thing about Love Island, um, I've never watched an episode in my life, but uh, a show that's so controlling like that, right? You, the people that go in there, they have no following. They're, they're, I don't want to say they're nobody's going into it, yeah. but like they're going into it off the back of a whim. Yeah. Rob had built up his own audience. That yeah, needed like two weeks away content. from your phone as Rob is yeah. huge. Oh, we were talking like two, three months, yeah. w- whatever it worked out to be. Um, so... And then you don't know how they're editing the content for the story. They could be massively incriminating you. And like that could be... In his case, just cutting him. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So I don't want to speak for Rob, but I think that work, that was so beneficial to him because he had his audience built up and that show could have easily torn it down. Um, So it it was a benefit that he didn't... But then he he also got... He sort of got in and got out. He got the fame that comes with it. A lot of of new followers. Got the YouTube video that you need. Yeah. But it's a testament to him. Like he was very true to his his audience oh, man, it, it, like the the show pushes a certain type of personality a very mm. like um i guess what's the word someone who loves like combative personalities people who love to have arguments so if you're like yeah. it's like uh joe laney went, on, went on, X, X on the beach yeah no one remembers that because he, he he was in one episode where he pulled some guy off another guy yeah, the other yeah, time yeah. he's just a nice guy and then goes home so he doesn't get any airtime yeah so like he probably needed to learn that lesson because at the time reality tv was like a, that's how you blow up yeah and then now you look at like molly may or any of those people like they'd rather just build their youtube channel yeah and get the, the youtube fame 
Absolutely, and that's that's the thing. You see so many people that come out of Love Island or shows like that, and when they when they step out, like their following just falls oh, off. The, a cliff. There was a show uh, uh, ITV did like a like Love Island horrors or Love Island after, and it's like all the people that were like, I was promised this, and mm. and I I got nothing, and now I'm working back on a building site, and you're like, I well believe it. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's ninety percent. It's ninety yeah. percent. There's so many shows that. Uh, it just yeah, like people kick off or they don't. You maybe get two a series, three a series, mm. where people will go and have a real career. But it's hard. And um, yeah. did you have any? Uh, I'm sure you have. Did you? What was your worst kind of? Fuck the memory cards just corrupted, or fuck I just <laughs> Rob that wasn't recording, or like like you know what I mean? Or one of those ones like I've had a few where particularly with Bloom on once we went into Christian Guzman mm. for Bloom on, which was like the, the biggest thing for our brand at the time, and uh, one of the guys that we shot with, um, shouted over to me and he was like, um. He was like, he was like, have you exported this card? And I went, nope. And uh, he was like, and then he was like, okay, cool. And then just like formats it. And oh. I go, I go, wait, what did you just do? And he goes, yeah, you said go. I was like, dude, I said no. Oh, and he was my. like, he just he deleted the audio with the master angle, so we lost both. And that shoot essentially became like not useless. Redundant. But that was oh man, and like everyone's had them and it makes you never do that again and now i won't wipe a memory card mm -hmm. until it's on two separate hard drives but uh did you have any of those touch wood none none that come to mind i don't I, I i don't think i've ever had anything that bad like the worst would have been like if if we were doing a full shoot or full day vlog that maybe the drone i didn't get the footage might have been formatted but we still had the rest of the content so you could work around thankfully touch wood again there's nothing there was one actually sorry you, you've, you've just reminded me here early days when I started working with Rob I that obviously gave me other opportunities to be a videographer so I started doing like small gigs here and there for your local barbershop whatever I remember <laughs> if there's a bakery out there yeah I'll, yeah. I'll, make, I'll make a coffee montage yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll crush it for you yeah no so um yeah there was a, a, a there was a, a salon like a hair salon a women's hair salon and I, I filmed the video I was just I think it was I can't remember what it was it, it was that's what it was. I was showing their new shop, right? Thankfully, it was something that I could go back and refilm. Yeah, I was showing their new slow, shop. Just slow pans. Yeah. Nothing crazy. And I, 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 I realized that there's something that had gone wrong where I didn't have the footage right. So I messaged them and said, oh, my card formatted. This is just something that happens every now and then. Standard. You know, they didn't know any better. You guys won't understand. It's pretty technical. Exactly. Yeah, you gone. throw that at them. Yeah. And it's gone. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I'm shitting my pants. Like, this is gone. Um, but no, they... So, yeah, I went back the following day and shot that. It was fine. Um, but yeah, no, aside from that, there was, there was nothing, nothing crazy. Was that type of job, working for one person on one specific channel and documenting their life, did you enjoy that, like as a type of content to make? Mm. If you could work for any, like do any kind of content, was was that your most enjoyable? Do you know what I did? Now this this sort of again, it's, I'm looking back at a completely different time, a different era. Like I I, I got into videography because I, I was making my own YouTube videos. Yeah. So um, videography was like a side pro uh, product of me making my own YouTube videos. I always had this vision of making my own videos i just like to make cool videos but did you like being the face originally was like the it, idea i'd be the face you know looking back i always felt it was it, it was always tough to get in front of a camera you couldn't break the stigma of like it, it was weird at yeah. the time uh, looking back it's it, like i wish i didn't have that mentality but um i always did want to make my own content mm. so working with rob i I loved it. Don't get me wrong. And we became best friends out of it. Um, and we had such good memories. Like some of the laughs we have, just talking back, at, uh, uh, like at some old stories. But I, I always tried to make my videos on the side. And I think if I went into the job with Rob and I knew my role as I was the videographer and I'm going to be the best at this, 
I'd probably still be doing that to this day. But I always had in the back of my head, I wanted to do my own YouTube videos alongside. And I never knew when that pivot was going to happen, like if, if I was going to be able to do it. Mm. Um, and there wasn't a, there was never a fallout or any like, there's no, no beef or any reason as to why Rob and I stopped. It just sort of fizzled out. Um, and so he's probably getting more opportunities. You also have a life here and like, it's more so, am I going to just be like tied to your hip now forever exactly. and just be, be with you? And this is the arrangement. You got to kind of like, navigate what is this mm. now as you travel to america and then you're back over here and you're going to expos am i coming to all this yeah you know it, it was so so this opportunity came up uh, a youtuber that i followed and rob followed jan olsen he was a uh, like he was an ex-professional skier red bull athlete he just lived this crazy luxurious content lifestyle. was outrageous His content was like next level, level. Like, levels above at the time he he was one of the other youtubers that had a videographer but they were shooting on a red for youtube videos daily vlogs on a red back in the day which was unheard of and that's what set him apart. He, Marcus Valor, who was his current videographer at the time, was stepping down um, for whatever reason. And Jan was popping off. So he was at the peak of his popularity at, at, at the time. He put out this application where he wanted videographers to apply to be his next videographer. I had a very good friend here, Max Rance McDonald in, in Dublin. He's an Irish guy that was close with uh, Jan. So I messaged Max straight away and I said, hey, um, I want to get this job. Now I'd spoken to Rob prior about this and I just, I said to him like out straight, I think like I really want to go for this. And I, I wanted to make sure there was no beef that like I was Rob's videographer stepping out, trying to be someone else's videographer, but he understood, he, he understood completely. Um, so I, uh, yeah, Max basically said to me, so Jan had put out in the video, he said, this person who's going to step into the role, they need to be able to jump off a speedboat uh, while we're going fast. And he showed clips of what they'd done. They need to hike a mountain at sunrise. Um, they need to, like, he basically just threw out these crazy things. So I got onto, and bear in mind, you had a week to, to submit your, or before you made the decision. I got onto Max. And they wanted a video application. A video application. Where you probably, like showed your skills and also introduced yourself. Yeah, basically. so first 30 seconds was an introduction to who you are, you talking to camera, why they should pick you, where you're from, yeah, so-and-so, and then 90 seconds of a video edit that you've done. So I basically, I got on to, in touch with Max, Max said to me, see the things that they outline in the video, take them literally, go and do them. Um, and there I was, I was like 19, I was thinking, where the fuck am I going to find a speedboat? You know, how am I going to climb a mountain? So straight away, the following morning, I got up at sunrise to, to hike the, the Sugarloaf Mountain, the closest mountain to me. I got up there thinking I'd have this great sunrise. It's covered in clouds. But it actually made it better because it made it look like I was at the top of Everest yeah, or it something. It was windy as fuck, I remember. Oh, and you're like, Matt, I was freezing yeah. up there. I was thinking, that's where I was contemplating it. The same day, I got the dart into Grand Canal and I got in touch with another friend of mine, David O'Queeve, who was a professional wakeboarder at the time. Nice. He was running the wake school in Grand Canal. Mm. Bearing in mind, this is like December 10th or something, deep into Irish winter. This, um, is, this is the Liffey, by the way, it's not. The Liffey as well. Um, he, they had these little like dinghies that they bring wakeboarders out. I was dressed in like jeans and a, a, and a t-shirt. And I, I said, right, I'm going to do a backflip for the video. So uh, I did a, fr a flip off the boat and that was my application. So I went home that night. I did this all in 24 hours I, and went home that night, filmed my piece to camera and I edited the video and I uploaded it. Because I was sort of one of the first people in there in the application and the, he had such an engaged audience, that video just popped off, right? And the crazy thing, what I didn't realize was in the background of all of this, Red Bull Global over in Austria, they were looking for content creators to sponsor. Um, they were working with an agency that were running this like AI uh, platform that was 
gathering all the data from YouTube. And they, on that AI or on that platform, there was an up and coming creator's um, profile. And your, your the analytics of your YouTube channel had to hit a certain amount within 24 hours for you to be in that list. Because of the day that I dropped my video and the attention it got, I managed to get into that list, completely oblivious to me. Um, and that put me on a list in Red Bull as to content creators they should reach out to. So I didn't end up getting the, the job with Jan Olsen, but I got an email from Red Bull basically saying, hey, we'd love to um, get you on a phone call and just have a chat. Mm. Bearing in mind, at, the, at that time, because I was working with Rob and Rob was getting bigger and bigger, a lot of people would message me to try and get in touch with Rob. Yeah. So I just brushed this email aside, right? Three months later, or three months go by, I don't know why, I don't know what brought me to it. I went back into my emails and I responded to the email. And uh, Kamari, who was, who was sort of the the organizer of this, um, she came back and she says, thank God you got back to us. I really wanted to speak to you. What took you so long? Like, exactly, yeah. yeah. So I got on a phone call with Kamari and she explained that she wanted to meet me and, and uh, do some videos with me. And I, that's when I realized this is real. Mm. And it was the first opportunity that somebody had come to me, not gone to Rob or come to me for Rob because we were a team, you know. Did you recognize your value? Like, did you think you were no, good? Absolutely not. Well, I knew I was a good videographer. I didn't see... I didn't see, like, I didn't think I was a good YouTuber myself. And at, at this period, like, you're, like, there's a big difference between YouTube creators and branded content. And you're yeah. probably looking at, like, a Red Bull being like, oh, no, they shoot in, like, studios with, like, you know. Oh, no, no, don't, don't get me wrong here. So, going, again, going back to 16-year-old me in school, mm. if you were to ask me what was my dream job back then or my dream company, I my dream was to work with GoPro or Red Bull. Because mm. the kind of content that I was watching was these adventure videos shot on GoPro and the YouTubers I followed were, aside from the, the gamers, were guys out in Hawaii living the life, you know, filming these these cool edits. That's what got me into video. And Red Bull invest in, like they do invest in their content and they see the value in like putting exactly. their name with these huge feats, like the guy you jumped like through the, uh, the ozone layer. Yeah, you know exactly, I mean? from space. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I met with Kamari anyway, and she said, um, or she called me and she said, we want to fly you out to Denmark to a music festival. Um, and we basically want you to shoot your own content and just do whatever. What I didn't realize was at the time, so Red Bull have this approach to business where their slogan is Red Bull gives you wings. They take that literally. So they do that with their athletes. They might've worked with Max Verstappen for 10 years before anybody knows that Red Bull have been working with them. And then as soon as he gets on the podium, they put a Red Bull cap on his head and say, he's ours. Yeah. They wanted to take that approach and apply it to content creators because they recognize at the time that all of their media that they were putting out was from an in-house media team. Um, so it had very like copy cutter or a uh, cookie cutter approach. Mm. They saw this opportunity with influencers and content creators coming up. So they wanted to nurture smaller creators to help them grow their audience. And then when they grow the audience, they put the cap on and say they're a Red Bull content creator. And also they're like any gems we have in here, they become part of the media team. We're just building a roster of like incredible creators. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now, so they, they, they reached out to me. Now, what I didn't realize was I was their guinea pig. They had never done this before. So they brought me out to Roskilde Festival in Denmark. I shot some videos. I had just had mad ideas where we were walking through. It was like downpouring rain. And there was this flagpole that people had made out of uh, sticks, crutches, all taped together just to make this pole. And I said, what if I take my GoPro and stick it on top of that? This is before drones. Yeah. 
So I took my GoPro, stuck it on top of that, and I ran into the crowd in the rain, and I just like dipped this down in front of like people wow. dancing and cheering, right? I went back and I edited that on the laptop when I sent or, or I showed them. They thought it was brilliant because it was social friendly content that was made by a creator and not their in-house media team. Um, and it probably looked like very UGC and not like, exactly. you know, it's probably not, the, it lacks the perfection that, yeah. they, that everyone else has. And probably people are like muddy in it. There's rain, as you said, maybe yeah, there's like yeah, drops of rain on there. the lens. And that just makes it all feel like someone's at the festival creating mm. this rather than like a director and a team behind them, you know? It, it was UGC before UGC was even a thing, mm. right? Now, but it was unknown to me. It's not like I was going into this thinking, oh, I'm great. Like I, I, did, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just doing what I love, what I thought looked cool. Um, so after that, it was a success. I made a video as well that fidget spinners, do you remember fidget yeah, spinners? Yeah. They were trendy at the time. And so I made a video, it was like the festival fidget spinner where I went around with the spinner and every I got cool people in the festival just to spin it, right? And I was just filming from the same perspective, but you had all these different people from the festival engaging with it, right? And it showed off the festival, showed off the fun. They thought that was great. You don't see a Red Bull can in it. You don't see anything Red Bull, but that content was what they wanted. So, after that, again, I was so naive to this whole thing. I didn't know what, what path I was on. I was just doing what I felt yeah. was cool. Can I ask you before, just as you go there, in terms of like you looking at your life financially, at any point are you like, all right, now this is a good way for me to make money? Or are you like, I just love doing this every day and this is no. like an honor to get to do this? Money money never came into it. And if I look back, I massively undervalued myself and my work. I think everyone does. Yeah, I, I, as a freelance videographer or freelance creator in, in any, uh, any form, it's so hard to put value on your work, especially you really need to have confidence. I think now other businesses are understanding of it a bit more. But back then, like if I went to somebody and I said, oh, 500 for a day shoot they would laugh at me you know and straight away i felt like maybe i'm overcharging but you have to have the confidence to like put your you, like you know your worth put that they, out there they will and like this is one thing i'm learning ever i i see loads that there's a load of guys on tiktok who talk about how to grow your freelance mm. thing and they'll do like little scenarios and he was like what's the difference between like someone who charges like Fifty thousand a day and five hundred thousand or five hundred a day, and it was like the difference is the the first guy has the confidence to ask for it, yeah. and like a, such a huge part of it is being like this is the value I offer, this is how much it is, but like I I also get this, I get a feeling of like uncomfortable if I set a number that I think is too high, and I almost be like this is what they can afford, so I'm going to pitch that to them, and then they go great, sounds sounds amazing, but it just it's interesting because you're doing all these things, you're working with these massive brands in any other job doing this equals, okay, well, career progression, like, mm -hmm. like how am I going to make money out of this? But like in this specific role, it's all about just create and just mm -hmm. just feel great. Uh, but at the, in the same time, you're burning whatever cash you have to kind of yeah. like sustain this, you know? And you know, it, it's funny, like I'm just off the back of a, of a, a nine to five job for the last three years. And like, I, I, I've now learned the the safety of having a consistent job. I, I get stressed now. If I'm looking, thinking of going on a trip, I often get stressed thinking about it but back then I, I i have to remind myself back then i did way more traveling and i had no money to spend like i as soon as i got video work or, or money from a, a job that i did the little money that i did get i'd spend it on traveling to go do something else you know and i just got by and it's funny like if you were to look at my instagram feed back then you think geez this lad's living the life you know in the background i had no money i was like doing anything i could just to 
live that life. Do you know, it's just because I, I, I was, I, I was just doing what my gut told me. Like I just wanted to do what I enjoy. There's also no example of that at the time. Like who could you mm. point to and be like, oh no, this is how much they make. Like there wasn't, as you said, there was a handful of guys who were working as a full-time videographer for a creator. Mm. And like, there is no salary based on that. There is no like previous job history for people to base it off. Yeah. And you're, you're worried about alienating your opportunity to work with these people by offering, if, if you say a certain number, they're going to go, no way, man. And yeah. then you've lost that opportunity. So it's like, where's the, where's the cutoff of you being like, you know what, I'll just do it for free for the opportunity and this will lead to something to, you know, you know what, I offer a value mm. and they're going to profit, oh, you know? I've, I like the amount, I did so much free work in, oh, yeah. in the beginning because you, you have to do it to get your name out there. Um, but I, there, there comes a point where like in the very beginning, I got offered a job from some uh, like, very corporate drinks company like a wholesale drinks company and i looked at the company and thought these are huge um in, in the grand scheme of business they wanted me to do a promotional video it was a job i knew that i'd hate having to film and edit no inspiration um and i just said to myself i'm gonna ask them for 1500 this is bear in mind this is early video it's days. a good number at the start like, was that's huge, huge that money. was yeah. quadruple what I, I i would make you know anywhere else and I just put it out there because I think if the job that you don't want to do, throw out a massive number that you, you would do it for. Yep. And if they accept it, do it. Yep. If they don't, it's no skin off your back. And they accepted it, which was great. But then I was, so it, it was just a lesson that I learned. Like, if you don't want to do something, throw out a massive figure because you never know what they're going to say on the other side. It, it, that might be small to them. Hmm. But not to get too into the nitty gritties of the, like the the videography, I think, as you said, I didn't have, I, I, I didn't necessarily have a plan as to where this was going. I didn't see a direction. I was just taking it as it came along. And that Red Bull opportunity, after I went to Roskilde, they offered me a, a full-time contract and to be the first ever sponsored content creator. So exactly as they did with athletes, they offered that to me to be a content creator. And that was the first time I ever felt recognized Valued, like. valued for myself mm -hmm. they came they found me from my youtube channel which was small back in the day i was just doing videos in my room whatever and they offered me this job and it was my dream company to work with mm -hmm. so that was huge for me i think in hindsight looking back at it i don't think i grasped the grasped the opportunity as much as i could have what was it like a uh you have a certain amount of content you need to release like each month or like no. you, or you're you're just part of the team when we need to use you like no it, like that. this is the crazy thing so it, my my contract i i hope i'm not breaking any contract laws but just speaking of this oh, now it's, it's years ago any now. crazy specifics yeah. no but the, so the, the the contract was i had five events a year um that i could choose so they red bull do events all over the world that's sick that it's event-based and like yeah. That. yeah 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 so they, they had five events that i could choose that i wanted to go to and, and shoot content and one dream project so the five events it, like the ones that i picked there was a ski event in the alps where 200 people run down to their skis in their snow boots it's a race yeah. for 100 meters to to get to your skis and then you race down a mountain some of these events were the best crack i've ever had another was we were we, we did a relay race against 100 people up a ski slope uh, do you know the ski jumping hills yeah, yeah, yeah. up one of those and i mean i mean they are you're, you're you're going up a hill like this like and it, um but the the experiences i got like they were some of my best memories mm. um and then a dream project which i pitched an idea to them and this is where i feel like i didn't capitalize on on the opportunity i 
was so naive at the time. Bear in mind, I was only 19, 20 at this, age, at this time. My dream was still to become a professional rugby player. Like I was doing videography on the side, but my childhood dream was to be a professional rugby player. I want to take a conversion for uh, for Monster, please. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's mad. Like when you look back at it, you're like, oh. yeah, I'm pitching that to the boardroom in, yeah. in, in Austria. Can I play gaff? My local parish team. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah like, and it, it, it was just because I was so naive. I didn't. I, I hadn't seen the bigger picture. I didn't see what was out there. I hadn't experienced enough things to know what other things I liked or yeah. enjoyed. Um, so I was. I, I, went, I remember they brought me out to the headquarters out in in, in Austria, and I mean, it's like, uh, like think of a villain's lair in a massive, I don't know, movie. The The head office is shaped like a volcano built on a lake surrounded by the Alps with like brass bulls coming out of it. You walk in, there's Formula One cars hanging on the wall, stuff like this. It's yeah. crazy. And they sat me in a boardroom and they basically asked me like, what, what do you want to do for your dream project? Yeah. And I said, uh, I want to do a kicking video with, uh, I don't know, a big, a big rugby player. They literally said to me, it needs more helicopters yeah. just to get my mind out of, out of the box and think like, this is Red Bull. Do you, do you think Ronan O'Gara would kick with me? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Ben, we, we just had someone in here ask, could they train with Arnold Schwarzenegger? And you're like, that's it. Like, well, listen, do you think Keith Earls would do a cooking video with me? Like, it's mad to think it all, it almost probably shows like perfectly like the age of like that you were at. Mm. Like if you, if you, if Red Bull asked you that question now, you probably have, 10 other answers that you'd give yeah. but it just it's a testament to how like almost innocent and new to the scene you were that oh. they, you were still like in with your roots so heavily like that, that that's that's how it was like they they asked me and I, I said this to them multiple times they asked me like what's your dream project and i said working with red bull is my dream yeah. so i couldn't see bigger than that i was like i'm already living my dream going to the events and doing their stuff that was my dream to them that's their day-to-day -day job but for me as the young kid that used to watch these videos when i was 16 i was living my dream mm -hmm. Um, so that or, or even just to be like, you want to pay me to do my passion and go to these sick events. And exactly. My job is to go and have fun and make this sick thing out of it. Yeah. Like that's just, I, I think people don't understand, especially in a corporate job, that like a huge part of the passion is doing that. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. getting to create it. So like you almost, but you need to remember just because you enjoy it doesn't mean it's not valuable or monetizable. And I think like, I almost go, oh, this video is going to be so sick. Let's just start for the money. Mm. We'll, we'll figure that out, but let's just start. And like the best people, the most successful people are the people who go, no, well, look, I have a price. And when yeah, you get yeah. to that, then we can have the fun, you know? That's the thing. I, I, I don't want to get too preachy on a podcast because I feel like a lot of people would come into podcasts like that and they preach their life. But the one thing I will say is like the fundamentals of what I did and what Rob did and people at that age was, we just did what we enjoyed and the money comes later. You find a way, you find your passion, what you love to do, and then you find a way to monetize it. Like the money, you can make money doing anything these days. Like the opportunities with social media, with podcasts or the platforms, the, the amount of information out there on the internet, like you can monetize anything. Yeah. Um, and that's what Rob did. You know, he, he made fitness videos because he just liked fitness. And in the end, it was monetizable. But at the same time, Rob did... Uh, it's like a shrine to Rob Lewis for this episode but uh, he had the full 9 to 5 that he didn't chat about all the time mm. he had a 9 to 5 gig that he was doing and then building his thing on the side like that's and again we just talked to Ev Wilde about this last week he was talking about I was on a, a building site for 6 years and I'd get up in the morning go to my studio make tracks go 5am to whatever 4pm work back into the studio again for six years and so people don't see that you know that's the key like that that for me was school where you you realize what you don't want to do so then you start to explore what you really want to do um and yeah but you have a 
it's interesting. There's because you've actually done. We've even spoke. You've done so much that, like, <laughs> let's just see. You just spoke. Let's get into this. You just spoke whether you've just left a nine to five and you yeah. worked with a company called. Was is it AVA? Is that the name Ava, of the company? Yeah, yeah. And um, I know bits and bobs just from following your content that like they do like specialized electric vehicles mm-hmm. and stuff like that. How did you? Like, get into that job, number one. What enticed you about that job? And then, obviously, how did you enjoy the period you were working with them? So, I I was living in New York in 2019, and I came home for Christmas, and that's when COVID lockdown happened, like, January, where COVID started coming into into play in January. So, I ended up staying home. I didn't go back to New York. Um, I... All good? Yep. All good. Yeah, so 2019, I was living in New York. I came home for Christmas and uh, COVID hit. I was sitting on my ass for a year. I was a freelance content creator. I was like... Emphasis on the freelance. <laughs> yeah, you, you were literally thrown into... I, I, I was thrown back into my hometown with no creativity and forced to sit there for a year. Um, and then, thankfully, out of nowhere, uh, this job opportunity came up where... A girl I went to school with, um, she messaged me. She said, oh, my dad is setting up this company just up the road. So at the time, it was still within my five kilometers, whatever. Um, and it was to do with cars. And I've always been interested in cars. I've loved cars since I was a kid. And he basically wanted to make high-end luxury electric cars in my hometown. I was thinking to myself, what? who is this guy? Yeah. So I went and I met with him. His name's Norman Crowley. And uh, he's like... The Irish Elon Musk, to put it lightly, he's just such a visionary. With, with his, he, he's such a good entrepreneur, um, and he basically just had this dream to electrify classic cars and make them, you know, think there was a market because everybody, the, the world was going electric with cars, but we wanted to basically any of these old cars that are just lying around in garages that are just going to waste. We wanted to revive them and bring them back to uh, to make them usable. It's like a plot. Now, have you ever seen the movie The Dilemma with like Vince Vaughn and Kevin James? No. That that it's similar concept where they were like, we want to take electric vehicles and put them in like Dodge Challengers and make like electric cars with the sexiness of like cool cars. Yeah. So it's, yeah. A, it's a similar first thing I thought of. That's yeah. exactly it. Like you look at cars these days, the the design, you look at cars years ago from the 60s, 70s, 80s, the design in them was was gorgeous. The, now they're all, they all look like a bar of soap. So we started off with a Ferrari 308 uh, that we had where the engine had blown. So to all the purists out there, we weren't ripping out the Ferrari engine. It was off the road anyway. So we electrified that and that was the first one. And then we recognized that there was this market for defenders, Land Rover defenders. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of people who just love defenders. They love the style of them, even though they were basically built as tractors. The old school, like green, like they, the old school, like before the real Range boxy yeah, ones. Boxy yeah, ones yeah they're real like, square. Yeah. They're, they're basically tractors. Yeah. Uh, so we started to electrify those. And yeah, I, I was there for three years. That's what we were doing. Um, and I suppose I look back, I, I've just finished up there recently, but I look back at it and years ago when I was doing videography, I always wondered, I don't want to be 40 making videos for my local barber, you know, day, daily edits or something. Or, you know, I just wondered, because I didn't have that college uh, degree or I didn't have another skill, I wondered when my, when would I pivot. And Ava gave me that opportunity. I went in there as, it was funny, my, my, my role was director of storytelling. Nice. It was purely just to tell stories of these cars. But essentially, I was just the videographer. Um, and... Uh, the marketing team kind of collapsed, the sales team kind of collapsed. So I quickly went up the ranks into, I'd fill these roles to be a salesperson and marketing team, purely because nobody else could do it. Is that a bike or something? Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so when the marketing team and the sales team sort of collapsed, I quickly got sped up the ladder and, and had the opportunity to take on these roles. So very quickly, I was doing the videography, I was doing the sales and kind of the marketing as a whole. Um, but the sales is what I really found a bit of a passion. So in. interesting. Yeah, it was. I never, I never saw myself as a salesman, but it was. It, it, I suppose like I can't really call it salesman because if I was selling something like broadband, you're so passionate about what you're selling, which makes all the difference. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I was going to the car shows anyway. Um, I was going and I was meeting these guys anyway. And the space, the luxury space that we were in, you're meeting really successful people, and I just loved. It, it was a mutual passion that we had. So straight away, I was meeting these crazy interesting people and I've just built up this network of really successful people that all love cars and it didn't feel like I was selling anything I was just catching up with friends and talking about cars but like once again like you're simply like that's such a huge part of of selling is like when you have this shared passion and you're sharing something like they don't feel like they're getting pitched to they feel like they're getting informed about something they're passionate about exactly but all the while you're pitching this like whole concept like your boss is like yeah the fuck, they're fucking keen yeah, I'm like, yeah, ben, yeah. ben's fucking killing this shit yeah but, like, just you, you, you don't even realize you're just like oh and look how beautiful it is and like the the, the comfort you don't even hear the engine guys like you guys already know and like they go back being like i have to get this thing that guy's the best salesman i've ever seen yeah the, the, honestly the key to i'm sure there's plenty of salesmen out there that are gonna think what, what is he talking about but what i found the key to say like selling uh, something to somebody is you sell them the emotion or the feeling or the experience. So you're not telling them, oh, this is the best car in the world. This is the fastest car, whatever, because it's not, it's, it's never going to be that. It knows its place. You sell them the lifestyle if they had that car. So you have that car, everybody's going to be looking at you. Or you have that car, you know, it's, it's the only one in Ireland that you're going to, that, that anybody has. It's the only one wherever. But the thing about the cars that we were making was we were handcrafting them, literally doing everything bespoke. Because we were a small team, we had that control where we could, one of the cars that we did recently, where we uh, I, I found this guy uh, called Brian O'Loughlin. He's um, a sculptor down in Kildare who does like bog oak. He pulls thousands of years old oak out of a bog and he sculpts it into pieces. I said to him, because one of our customers is from uh, Kildare originally, I said, I want you to pull out a piece of bog and sculpt it into the center console of the car. So this is the only Land Rover Defender going around with that piece of wood and that shape of wood because it's hand sculpted. It's one of one. But for the customer, that's a piece of his home driving around in the car. He lives in another country. So it's just a memory of home. And no other car company is offering that. But because we were a small team and, and it was bespoke, we could offer that. Mm. Um, and that's sort of what you're selling. You're selling the lifestyle, the experience, the bespokeness. Because you walk into a Ferrari dealership, you're getting the Ferrari, the same Ferrari that everybody else gets, unless you are their top customer that has been there 20 years. And you're, you're paying, it's like a Rolex, right? Now, so you're paying for the prestige, but like mm. you're just a, another customer to them. They have a line of people outside looking for them. As exactly. you like, even like trying to buy a Rolex, like it's years you're waiting because they have such a queue of people all based off this prestige yeah. of having one. Like it's the perfect but, business model. Like. It, it, as you said, it's perfect business model. They, 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 they create the demand themselves. They, they protect their brand. Just you by know. not having enough. Like, yeah, it's exactly. remarkable. Like. So yeah, uh, that, the, the, the last three years, it's been unbelievable from a personal growth level because I learned, I basically, I don't, I didn't own the brand, but I learned how to run a brand and how, like how branding works. And I had a really, really good mentor in there. He was my manager, but I, I, I call him my mentor, uh, Colin Roach. He's the, he, he's just a genius when you speak, when you speak about brands, you know, you, you can bring up anything and he just connects the dots mm. and 
it's, it's like you're sitting there and you think, why didn't I think of that? Like he just connects the dots. And I, I basically had three years of learning off him. Um, and so now off the back of that, I don't see myself as a videographer anymore. I can do it. It's a, it's a tool in, in my belt, but I'm really enjoying building brands and that, cause there's so much scope to that. You can take it where you want it. You're just telling stories in a different way. And that's what I love about it. You were obviously still making content for them, like yeah. d- longer form content, documenting, like obviously making the cars, the process to be then able to be able to sell this piece to whoever it was. Yeah. Um, number one, after all the things you've spoken about and how enjoyable the experience was and all those things, why, why would you leave or decide to go on to another project? I, I, as I explained to anybody over the last three years, I always said it was the perfect job in the worst location. It, it was back in my hometown in literally, I mean, five minutes from my home place. Um, so for me, like I just, I always had this itch for traveling, especially in my twenties, you know, you're only 20 in your twenties once you want to enjoy it. I felt like I love the job and I love the people. It's one thing I'm going to miss the most is the team that I worked with and, and, uh, the people there, but I always felt this itch that I knew if I went into my thirties, forties, and I was still in my hometown, I know I would regret it. Yeah. So it was kind of like a bittersweet that we kind of had to part ways in a way. And now, I, I, again, it's I've no, not a bad word to say about the place. Yeah. It, but it, it was just a personal thing that I needed to get away. Yeah, from. you have to go away to come back, man. Do you know what I mean? And like, I have a very, I have a very, very similar situation with a friend of mine who's moving to Australia in January mm. and got a really great job in an agency here in town. He's a content creator himself, and he's a, like a videographer for that brand or for that agency. And it's pretty much like really good job, well paying job. He enjoys the work, and now he's about to go to Australia, leaving the job mm. and trying to understand. Wait, am I like? like am I walking away from like my perfect job that I get fulfillment from and like make good money from and there's clear like growth am I walking away from this and am I going to look back in five years and be like like Jesus Christ and Mm -hmm. then like I guess the the answer he came to was like I'd rather look back and be like at least I I went down like Mm -hmm. the the mystery of not knowing what life would have been like somewhere else and not Mm -hmm. getting to travel is is I'd rather know that I tried Australia then no I didn't leave the job and took the safe route yeah and um, you're, the, you're in the same place man that, that's the biggest thing I, I, I always felt like the nine to five is not going anywhere mm. you know if, if you have that itch that you want to do or you, if you have a dream or something that you've always wanted to try I, like you, depending on circumstances obviously you know I, I was blessed where like thankfully in all my traveling I always had a home to come mm. home to you know if 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 the worst case happened, like if, if I wasn't getting work, I always had a home to come back to my, my home place. And I was very, very blessed to have that opportunity. Not, not like not everybody does. Yeah. So I think, but if you have the opportunity to, to try something that you, you really want to do, go for it. Cause the nine to five isn't going anywhere. And I don't want to sound cliche and say the nine to five. Cause like I really enjoyed the nine to five yeah. before I went into uh, Ava. I was completely like, I was that naive kid being like, nah, I'm never going to work in a nine to five. Yeah, no, I was going to get coffee and just, you know, I'm going to grind anyway. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We all have it, yeah. And the, there are elements to that I didn't like and I didn't enjoy, but there's so many elements <laughs> that I did enjoy. And I think the 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 key thing that I found was you kind of have to experience that at some point yeah. in your life. Because I, I've come away from that in so many other areas. I feel like I've learned a lot more, like just how to be professional in a certain conversation or just general admin or just yeah. having a schedule. Because before that, I was on my own terms as a kid. Bookkeeping, accountancy, this kind of shit. Like boring, the not sexy shit. Keeping yeah. a calendar, just like making sure you show up on time. Like that kind of stuff that yeah. you just, you take for granted. Like when you're forced into a nine five, it, it makes you learn that stuff. So now I'm 
as I'm out of there, I'm bringing a lot of stuff that I learned into new practice. Um, Do you have, um, interesting as you, as you say that, one of the questions I had was about, just because I followed the content, you made, uh, you made merch and you made apparel for a while. Yeah. And there was a, a series you made that like finished with a, a, like I guess like a little like open house or an open show for people to come and like look at it. Yeah. And um, it's just interesting because it, everyone seems to be getting into the apparel space now or like as you've seen like the growth of Alphalete and all these brands. What what did you learn from that process? So like, I've heard David from How to Beast who came on here and he was like, dude, don't get into clothing. He yeah, was like, yeah it it's is, such a competitive space it, now. It is so hard. Yeah. And he was like, I've done, I've done um, supplements now. And he's like, dude, that's so the easier. best thing I've ever done yeah. compared to Apparel. So like, it's just interesting. You decided at like a relatively small platform size, I'm going to go and make the best best merch I can and uh, like document the whole thing. Mm. So like, well, what did you learn from that experience? So it, it was never actually merch. And this, it's funny, like... Sorry, merch is probably disrespectful. Is it apparel, no, no, is apparel no. the right word? So I, I wouldn't even call it a fashion brand or a clothing brand. I, uh, going back to when I was doing YouTube videos, I met uh, through one of my followers that sent me on another uh, YouTubers fo- um, story on Instagram uh, and it was these guys called Yes Theory they're big YouTubers Huge. they're Huge. they're massive now um, and they were basically they were doing a, a challenge for one of their YouTube videos and they ended up coming to Dublin mm. so uh, one of my followers who followed them sent that on to me I ended up meeting the guys I showed them around Dublin it's uh, in one of their vlogs I've back in the day yeah. yeah so we became friends from that day and they said oh, if you ever find yourself out in LA um, hit us up so you're like, oh, yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. I, I, LA as the young content creator was like the dream. I always thought like LA is the place to be. I really want to go there. So um, going back to my friend, Max Rance McDonald, who, who made the connection with the Jan Olsen application. He, I was chatting to him in Dublin one day and he said, oh, I'm having a 30th out in uh, Beverly Hills in LA if you'd like to come. Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> I think my fucking <laughs> Who's that guy? guy? Like, look at him in here. Like. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, he, he he basically said he's having his 30th out in Beverly Hills in, in a house out there. And me, again, as like a 20 year old, I was like, right, I don't care how much I've got in my bank. I am making that happen. So I spent all my money on flights. No, actually, sorry, I'm wrong. Uh, I was doing a trip with Red Bull and Red Bull, the way that worked was if I needed to go to another destination. So they'd fly me out to the festival or, or to the event. And depending where I needed to go, they would fly me back. So I just said, I need well, to be LA. in LA. <laughs> so got a they, gig. I got this gig over there. So they sorted me out with the flight back to LA and I just had to sort my way home then whenever I was finishing up. So I went out to Max's party. Uh, while I was there, I hit up these yesterday guys that I met, went down to their house and they live in this like creator house. Um, but when I say a creator house, this place was the most creative place you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, when I went in there, there was a bunch of people from different disciplines, different creators all living in this house. And uh, right in Venice Beach, it was beautiful. Um, and so I ended up just really falling in love with the, the the environment there. And they were over making a video with Will Smith in in, in Budapest. So they were free from the house. So there was three beds in the house. It basically just became a hostel um, for all their friends. And one of the guys I met there, a guy called Dakota, who ended up becoming one of my best friends. He was doing his own clothing at the time, um, just making t-shirts and stuff. And it's something through my career with Rob and Alphalete and seeing the fitness scene, how fashion brands were sort of coming up, like Gymshark, Ben Francis, their story. I always felt it was something I was interested in that I wanted to know. So it wasn't necessarily I started this as a fashion brand. I just wanted to know the process of how to make clothes. 
And so many companies at the time, they would get standard t-shirts, just a blank t-shirt, and they put their logo on it, and they looked terrible. The fit was terrible. I wanted to make a t-shirt that I wanted to know, like if if the if the seam or if you want to make the arms tighter and then the the uh, top baggier, or if you wanted a hoodie and you wanted the bottom to be cropped a bit more or just a bit tighter, how do you do that? So with Dakota, we used to go downtown in LA. Um, sorry, going back, I was supposed to be there for three a week i ended up staying for six months yep. in la so <laughs> don't, don't tell the american government yeah, yeah so dakota and i used to make these trips down to uh, the fashion district in downtown la where we literally like we, we we joke about it we used to say we were wheeling dealing and stealing because yeah. we were doing everything we could just to make this happen um, and this is like fabrics and textiles and like all that kind yeah. of stuff so the way it worked was like there was these warehouses that just had uh rolls of different types of fabric different weights of cotton different colors everything right so we go in there uh, like this this is this is a process that is usually done under one roof mm. but down in la like we were doing every step ourselves so we went down we we, we basically pick out a fabric that we wanted then we, we we'd go to uh like nordstrom which is the equivalent of brown thomas here and we'd pick out a really expensive hoodie that we liked and we'd buy it We'd bring it down to a sample maker we'd basically take the measurements and stuff just because if we like the fit and we'd tweak it in ways that we wanted ours like we'd basically just find a template of yeah. a, a piece that we liked we'd return that straight away to get our money back but we would once we had a template then you bring that to a cutter so you bring your fabric and your template to a cutters then you bring all your little pieces to a sewers they sew it together and then you bring all of that to a printers where they print your logo or whatever you want to do it you have to do this a few times until you get the finished product that you like but doing that i just fell in love with the process of learning it it was a huge investment and i knew i wasn't getting this money back like we we, we planned to do a pop-up store back in dublin but i knew look i wasn't gonna sell out or anything but learning the process was so fun and enjoyable because again it was just another industry that was new to me it wasn't videography and daily videos um but it really opened my eyes to give you one example and this is a story that i i find crazy we threw the grapevine of the fashion district down in la um we got put in touch with a sewing uh, a sewers like sewing company and we we got sent to an address and it was this shop in a part of LA that all the signs are in Spanish because it's it, only Mexicans live there right and, and the, so you feel like you've literally walked into Mexico and we got pointed to this address a little corner shop like a 7-eleven and uh, you go in through the shop and the a guy escorts us to a, a back door and we're like okay this is a bit shady so he ended up going into this warehouse and it was like, this is our first time learning all of this stuff. Um, into this warehouse in the back where they were running this sewing company and we were showing us the sewers and we were recommended this from one of our other previous guys that these are the best guys in town. So we said, right, we'll, we'll work with them. And so you had like six guys with sewing machines and piles of fabrics beside them, like making hoodies. The guy on the right who was sewing our hoodies, he had our pile of hoodies he was sewing them together. And the guy sitting next to him. Plenty of <laughs> Yeezy. Oh, fuck me. He was sewing Yeezy's hoodies. Gosh. And this is what opened my eyes. Was the only difference between my hoodies and Yeezy hoodies was that he's Kanye West. It's the brand. And I'm Ben Keeley. Yeah. 
It was the exact same process. They were doing the exact same thing. Now, I don't know if they were just samples or small, whatever, like it maybe does a larger production elsewhere. But you do have this image in your head beforehand that Yeezy has like guys in white coats, like sewing stuff perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Like, from the outside yeah, in, you yeah. think it's done in this. It, it, it was the exact same process. Smoke and mirrors, it, like. It's, it goes across the board with like, this, it's the same if you go and you manufacture your clothes in Portugal, in China, in Pakistan, in Turkey. They all have different spe- uh, specializations. Like Portugal is really good for like premium fabrics, premium cottons, whereas Turkey might be better for denim, you know. But we were learning all of this firsthand in person in LA. And that's what I loved. And that's what I wanted to do it for was just to learn the process. Because in the back of my head, I kind of had the idea, right down the line, a lot of YouTubers are looking to start their own merch. And I was thinking, what if I make like blanks? And yeah, I was the guy. Do you know um, Jesse from Nelk? Yeah. You know, he works, his company Sunday. Sunday, yeah, yeah. So they do exactly what you're talking about now. They they Blanks they, they went to make, the, he was like, I'm currently in the process of making the best box t-shirt, the best hoodie, the best like um, zip up hoodie. And I'm going to have these blanks in reserve. And then when someone comes on and wants something, like Mike Malak comes on or something like that, he'd be like, hey, we're going to do this t-shirt with this fit and you can put on whatever design you want. And they just had the best blanks ever. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're talking about. But you did it. Five, five, ten years ago. But yeah. he, he spoke, he, his whole business plan was based off no one of these guys makes good products. Yeah. They all have huge followings and do millions. And probably Nelk was the first people to be like true cut and sew, yeah. limited edition pieces that were like made and like heavy duty. And yeah, stuff, you know? Nelk took like the Supreme approach where they did like limited drops and they had such an engaged cult following that they knew that no matter what they did drop, it was going to sell. So he probably learned that from the process of they would have started doing like really low quality stuff. It was going to sell regardless, but refining that into a product. I kind of learned it from the other side where like I didn't I didn't have a business plan or a vision of where this was going to go. I just wanted to you learn recognize the, the value in the process, though. Like this is a real monetizable people yeah, way. People make money in the on the Internet, like scene in general. That came from like being with Rob when he had his first merchandise drop and seeing like the tech packs that the designers were sending over to him. And then Al Philippe being close to them, seeing like speaking with Christian and seeing if he didn't like the, the waistband on, on a certain pair of shorts, how he changed that. And. A lot of that was done in Portugal or Turkey where you would never see it. So when I got the opportunity in LA to do this in person, I just wanted to do it. Mm. Um, I actually, I want to grab my notebook there because I've got something written down there. I heard through the grapevine, like uh, that a lot of these, like all these big brands that you know, like you're like Gymsharks, Alphalete, all those things, like they're probably all picking from the same like five people that do oh, it yeah. like at the top, top level. Yeah. Which is just so interesting that like you think like like Lululemon, I heard Skims now are like in with like the the whatever top three guys and like they all make the number one. It's just funny to think like so many different brands, but like they all come from the same place. Oh, that's the thing about fashion is like everybody copies each other. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's such a fast moving industry, but everybody copies each other and they're, probably coming from the same place even even the fitness scene now like it's you, you can see there's the uh there's like the pump cover phase there was a stringer phase yeah there was the super tight track suits yeah and now it's more like loose fitting more like oversized stuff like it's just funny and every, every brand follows it you know that's, that's the thing like you look at 2017 2018 guys were wearing skinny jeans that were you know they were stretchy me now still yeah <laughs> but now now the trend is just sort of like baggier fits and i think the other thing you have to think about is like a few years ago, well, the, la- the trend over the last few years, a lot of people were wearing very loud clothing in the sense, big logos, big wording, text, because that's sort of how it was. People wanted to be seen. People like wanted to be heard. 
now I think it's gone a little bit more where people it's are... It's all tones now. Yeah, it's all tones. tones and, and, and I, I, I don't think the loudness is going anywhere because you look at culture, you look at society, everybody's still loud, pop culture. Those you know. fucking rig, big red boots. Yeah, you know, exactly. Jesus so Christ. I don't think that's going anywhere. There's still a market for it, but I think the general theme here in Ireland and the UK anyway, I think it's gone a, a little bit more. Yeah, the, um, tight, the tight t-shirt phase is definitely over. So this, uh, it was funny when you asked me to come on to this podcast, I, like, so sticking with the clothes... Um, bearing in mind that was 2018, 2019, I went to New York. I was doing freelance videography over there, completely parked the clothes yeah. elsewhere. Um, then for the last three years, I was working in Ava and, and, and now I'm here. In 2019, before I went to New York, these guys uh, called John and Michael, who own a company called Carpe Omnia, or they'd set up, yeah, they said they set up a company doing skinny jeans. I first met them back at Rob was doing a, a speaking event in the RDS um, with it was the creator agency event. I met these guys outside and they were telling me about their their, their skinny jeans. At the time at these events, revolutionary skinny jeans, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We at the time at these events, like uh, you're speaking to hundreds of people in the day. I, I I barely remember speaking to them, but they reminded me of this. And before New York, I was trying to I was moving to New York in 2019, and I was trying to save as much money as I could just for the trip. I had a job the week before of my flight that fell through, and these guys approached me for a job. And their budget was way lower than what I'd normally accept. But because this other job fell through, I went and I did it. Um, but from meeting them and on that shoot, I saw, I recognized like their drive of wanting to create, like they, they had such a unique drive that I could relate to in so many ways that I, I struggled to find here in Ireland. Like my, my community here in Ireland was like my friends from school or whatever. And, and, and I don't want to say small island mentality because people use that as a buzzword, but I felt like. I was always sort of thinking that I wanted more, something bigger that I could find here. When I met these guys, it was the first, some of the first people that I'd met here that I, I recognized straight away in these related guys. To. Yeah, related to. They they wanted more. Um, like starting a fashion brand in Ireland, it was net, it was, wasn't on the cards. So we did the shoot. Um, it was their skinny jeans. And I went to New York the following week. Their, it was their first ever Instagram ad of their skinny jeans. And they ran it for, I think, about a year. I still hear that same song repeating in my, in my head. But um, they it did really well for them. And they blew up from jeans. Their business exploded. Um, they just found a gap in the market. And then the, the next transition for them was to go from jeans into uh, T-shirts and hoodies. Because, you know, you're selling a product that solves a solution, skinny jeans for guys with bigger legs that they can't find jeans that fit. Glenn Gillen. <laughs> exactly. Ideal, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Customer number one. Yeah, he was influencer number one for yeah, them yeah. as well. Um, the whole business doesn't work if we don't get him. All right, yeah. so we got to get this bloke. So that's that's the thing is like you, you can you, you can make a product that fills a need, but that's it's just a product. Yeah. The problem is then how do you build a brand? And building a brand, you have to create an emotional connection with somebody. You have to give them a reason. You have to give them the why. Why are they buying it? Not what are they buying? Um, they have to feel like they, re they resonate something with the brand. So to get somebody to buy a t-shirt is a completely different story to get somebody to buy a jeans. And I think from the waist down, especially with guys, once it fits well, once it, it looks good, it's fine. You could have a pair of jeans. If you have a nice pair of jeans, you can have five, 10 years. If you have a pair that fits you the way you like, like yeah. it's so people, girls will obviously get it, but like finding really nice bottom half level clothes, mm. jeans that fit your body the right way, comfortable to wear, nice material. Like it's hard to find. So it's valuable when you find one that fits. You know? Yeah. But then to wear a t-shirt or a hoodie or something with a statement on it is a completely different story. That has to represent you as a person. 
Um, so the guys, but they, they did that very well. They, they, they started with t-shirts or they brought out t-shirts and hoodies and did really well. Um, so when I came back from New York, we ended up going a few trips together just as, as friends. We ended up building a friendship. Um, I did a few shoots with them, a few more product shots here and there. I got close to them, but as well the business. And it was great to see that their business was succeeding from when, before I went to New York. Um, and just naturally with us becoming friends, being close to the business, they were always in, in the back of my mind of would I potentially see myself working there. Um, and it was funny. So when I finished up with Ava there a few months back, they approached me um, and basically they said that they want to take me on board to to do brand. Um, and when I left Ava, I had to hand back in the laptop. So I didn't have a laptop for a few weeks. So I picked up this notepad that I just found in my room. And it was, again, it was, it was just a standard notebook that Red Bull would give me from one of their uh, creator um, events. But I looked, I opened it up and I hadn't opened this up since 2018. Bear in mind, I only opened it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm not one for manifesting or any, any of the stuff, but I do, when I read stuff, it's hard not where, to. Where are your crystals? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when I read this, it was hard not to think this is a bit weird. So I have written down here. And I opened this up in for the first time in that meeting with these guys about running the brand for the brand side of their fashion company. And I have written down here Monday, the 16th of July in 2018. I wrote this down when I was in that community space. It was all about, you know, manifesting, writing down your goals and that stuff. I wrote down the location, Los Angeles, and what do I want to achieve in a year's time? And now bearing in mind, I was doing the clothes myself out there. Um, so I was very much in that mindset. I said, clothing, short term, first launch in Dublin and an online store. Second one, pop-up store in Dublin. Third one, build content around starting the uh, company and designing clothes. I said, long term, sponsor individuals, inspiring people. I wanted to tell people's stories through the brand. Second one, multiple pop-up stores around the world. Third one, create a platform to share people's stories around the brand. Basically the same as the first frequent launches of new lines and have a team running the company. So to build a team, essentially. That's what I wrote down in 2018. And the first time I opened this was when the guys were approaching me to basically do that for their company six years later, five years later. And I, I opened that up and I was in the meeting. I was like, geez, that's a bit, that's a bit weird. Like how it came so full circle. But that's... Um, that's an opportunity now that uh, I, I'm looking to move into uh, and I'm excited to move into because it's, again, it's another pivot. But if you'd, it's, it's very funny that if you hadn't had that experience with Ava, you probably wouldn't see the same value now in getting no. in on like the brand side of a brand like this because you'd still be like, how can we make this into a reel? Do you know what I mean? Like that's mm. all you're thinking about content. And now suddenly you're coming in with like this whole new like brand growth area and being like, I could be of real value here in lots of areas. So mm. like, it's just funny how you need to, like you have to go over here to get up to here and that wouldn't happen if this didn't happen. So like you're, you're, you seem to be slotting in exactly where you, where you're supposed to be. And like that brand for people who don't know, um, they're exploding right now. Like huge. They're going yeah, they're, into- they're doing great. They've, they've, uh, the, the guys have done an extremely good job. And from the outside in, it looks like there's a massive team there. It's, it's the two guys have been running on their shoulders for, for what, five years now. Mm. Um, and they've basically taken over the, the men's streetwear sort of premium clothing. Um, especially like in Ireland, even though the UK is their, the biggest market, they've taken off in the UK. And what the crazy thing about this is, and, they, they, they haven't dedicated anything to brand. They've just created products, right? They've created prog- product and marketed it. Um, 
they got tagged in a photo there a few weeks ago where Thiago Silva was just wearing one of their hoodies. Yeah. There was no brand activation. The guys hadn't spoken to him. He just bought it and, and he's wearing it. Another one was uh, Alex Telles. He's a Manchester United football player. When he signed with Man United, <laughs> the, the, there's a photo of him in Old Trafford and as he's signing like his announcement photo where he's just standing like this in Old Trafford and he's just wearing their cargo pants and as a brand like to see that like that was created here from just two brothers with a vision and a goal uh, it's, it's it's nuts like it's crazy what they've done so I'm really looking forward to now working alongside them and building out the brand element and um, engaging with the community like they've they've done they've worked so hard in building an audience and, and um, getting the brand out there now we're just engaging the audience and telling the brand story what what do you think you can bring to them that like they they maybe need right now or something that you can offer like uniquely? So that's what it is. It's it's the brand element because I don't want to speak on behalf of the guys, but they're right now. If you look at the the, the business space out there on social media, there's a lot of ecom brands where Tons. yeah, there's so many ecom brands, and they're at the end of the day they're your competitors if you're if you're marketing in that space. So your ads are going out there; they're being shown to the same people that all these other brands and. I don't want to say, like, I don't want to put down anybody else's brand, but if if you're trying to sell this premium product and that ad is being shown next to another brand that's not necessarily as 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 good or as um, as great, you're just, you're sort of, what's that phrase, guilty by association. You're sort of like devalued by association because you're in the same space. They're, they're, you're putting, you're, you're basically put into the same marketing pool. We want to, sh- we want to build a community and engage the people that are already have bought into the brand. They know the brand story. You want to tell, like they, they call the Carpe Omnia, it means sees everything in, in Latin. And they call it that for a reason because they see more to this than just a clothing company. Like we, we, it's, it's, it means something. It's for people who essentially get up every morning and they just go after their dreams, whatever that may be, without sounding too cringy or anything, but it's whatever field that's in, whether it's, you know, if they're into the fitness or if they're into art or whatever it's just people who have that mentality mentality where they get up and they just want to achieve everything see they uh, like uh kind of a blessing and a curse for them is they actually exhibit exactly what their brand is all about mm. but they maybe don't because they're not on crazy amount of tiktoks and loads behind the scenes people might not know their story that much yeah but when you look they might see like carpe omni oh they just pick something you know whatever something that they can kind of like pull off what's cool but like in reality if you knew the story of how these guys started, like they're straight up two blogs, probably making jeans in, probably doing sketches in their room, like exactly. that kind of stuff. That, that's how it was. Yeah. And and, and to, to answer your question as to what I, what I bring to the table is exactly that. Like they're, they're too caught up. They, they have to run the business. You yeah. know, the business has to, has to keep going forward, but it's coming in and basically building a brand, like engaging, like make that emotional connection with people. And, show people why they why they want to be part of it not what they're buying that's only going to make it's only more valuable to them as well like i mm. i i bet people like fucking delas are like watching it being like oh it's just some big you know uk brand that i bought it off if 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 their story was out there more and they go oh it's these two blokes from dublin exactly. who are making the like crazy like revolutionary clothes that everyone loves but like it's just the two of them but the like, the, the thing is, is it's not necessarily about the clothes it's like where i see it going is i i want to use the platform and the the brand to represent people who are exactly doing, as it says in the tin, seizing everything, like going after their dreams. Similar to the Red Bull model. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it, like what I've done the whole time is just storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Ava, the cars that we built had an individual and a un- unique story. Mm-hmm. It's telling that in a certain way to appeal to a certain kind of person. 
it's the same with the clothes. I want to build a community of people who are all on the same wavelength and uh, feel represented by the clothes. Um, and I suppose that that's that's sort of where we're going with it. Well, you'll you'll be lo- you'll probably be looking for some you know legitimate you know podcast to sponsor and stuff like that. And, you know, <laughs> I, I absolutely. I'm a, oh, a couple of huge investments coming in, but I'll I'll see what I can do. I maybe might <laughs> every able, podcast from now we, might, uh, might be able to open that up. We'll see what happens. I, be, I brand the shit out of yeah. it, everything. <laughs> um, listen, that's 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 an hour and a half. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much, man. No, Genuinely th- learned so you. much. Like, I can't, like, we didn't even fucking get into New York, which is like a whole other <laughs> thing I'd love to chat to you about and how you made that, like, you know, the thing you did on the, um, it's the the monarch or the monarchy that was on the the wall and you did the, this time-lapse shot where, like, it's like loads of individual shots back to yes, back like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I need to figure out how you did that. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> um, but listen, thank you so much for coming on. I'm chuffed to hear that you're going into, like, a, a new gig that you're motivated and inspired by and, uh, yeah, how, looking forward to seeing all the great work, and I'm, I'll continue to be a Carpe Omnia. You, if you go on to Carpe Omnia's customer service, I like their Instagram. You'll see DMs from me being like, "Hey man, would I be a, a larger an XL than this?" From like uh, way back during COVID and shit. I'll so, make sure they uh, they get back to me. Yeah, come on the fucking podcast. But, um, <laughs> all right, lads, go f- listen, go follow Ben. You all know his story. I hope you enjoyed that, and I'll uh, I'll see you guys in the next one. Ben, thank you so, so much. much. Thank yes, you. Bro, yes. Unreal, brilliant, man. That's class. I had no idea <laughs> that that was where you got.